Yeah, that shame. Yeah. <laughs> Might be a yeah. tough shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that shame pit tossed me right in. Tossed <laughs> me right in, friends. Whoop. Let's go. There they go. Into the shame pit again. Welcome, my friend. My name is Jude Stratus, and you're listening to Get In Bestie a podcast in which I indulge my obsession with the nebulous and confusing concept that is friendship. I'm so grateful you're here. I hope you are drinking something warm, and I hope you're being a good friend to you today. Y'all, my friend Nico, what a joy What a delight, what a genuine treasure. I am so excited to share this conversation with you. This conversation really gave me some tension to hold about, you know, the reasons I started the podcast and some feelings that I've had about friendship just generally. Specifically, we get into the tension of labeling a thing and having structure around a thing how that can often feel safe, but then how that also leads to this sense of you have made a decision and therefore you can't grow out of that decision. That one of the most beautiful parts of friendship is that space to evolve. And when you put it in a box, it's really, really difficult to give it that space. We also talk a lot about access intimacy and friendship as collective care, how we really need each other and we really need the types of intimacy that allow us to say what we need with reckless abandon. And listen, we also discuss shit talking because as spiritual people, we have a lot of feelings and thoughts about talking shit and we needed to talk some shit about it. So I encourage you to maybe take this episode on a walk with you. You know, the leaves are starting to change. The air is kind of minty, kind of sharp. There's so much to notice. Um, And it'll be like going on a walk with your two homies, Jude and Nico. So I hope you enjoy. Yes, I know that I'm being recorded. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, To get started, I'd love if you would introduce yourself, so name, pronouns, and any identities which currently feel meaningful to you. Gosh, Uh, well, my name is Nico, my pronouns are they and them, and I identify as a white, disabled, queer, gender-fluid, weird, neurodivergent human being. Ooh, that's my favorite type of human being. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I read, um, I actually read this thing recently where they were saying that neurodivergent people have the tendency to identify more as like a general, like I'm a human rather than like myself, Nico or myself, Jude. They're like, I'm mm-hmm. just a human being existing and that yes. is my existence. And I don't really remember what the article is saying, but I read it on the internet, which seems credible. The internet is always credible until it's not. 
Um, so I sent you this question to reflect on beforehand, Yes. but I would love for you to describe in any way, shape or form that feels good, uh, the relationship that you and I share. Well, I mean, I'd say that we share a friendship. I think that, you know, our relationship is pretty new. We're still really getting to know each other, but I feel like we connect on many different levels in that we share a lot of overlapping identities. Um, we seem to share quite a few different interests. And I think that we both, it seems to me, have a sort of spiritual goal in mind and are walking a similar spiritual path. And for me, presently, that feels really relevant to my relationships or the relationships that I would like to cultivate most strongly, I found really involve some sort of deep spiritual aspect um, and connection. So mm -hmm. for me, I think that resonates the most between us. I think yeah, we have a nice relationship. It's like easy. I think so. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like we've been slowly getting to know each other over a long period of time, which is not often how my friendships build. Yeah. But it's been, it's felt very like easeful and sustainable, which I really like. Yeah, same, same. Yeah, it's true. I feel like a lot of relationships that I cultivate sort of, or that I have in the past anyway, friendships have sprung up via like shared interests or shared space, whether it be work or school or some other um, interest that I'm involved in. And, you know, hanging out with people and getting to know them in real time to me has the timeline has seemed really condensed compared to the way that I find myself cultivating relationships recently, where, as mm -hmm. you mentioned, like things have gone a little bit slower and we've taken our time in sort of like sinking into getting to know one another. And I, for me, that feels a lot more sustainable because it is developing more naturally and it doesn't feel as hurried as mm. other relationships that I've fallen into. Yeah, I agree. I also really like about our friendship that we have like a scheduled check-in every week. That's oh, yeah. so nice. I, really <laughs> I wish like I had that. that with more of my friends. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I have tried that with some of my other friends and I found that some people have fallen into that pattern with me really easily and we've been able to maintain a sort of weekly or regular check-in. Sometimes it's not weekly, sometimes it's, you know, monthly or what have you. Um, and some folks, you know, that doesn't really work for them or, or they aren't able to maintain a, a more regular check-in. And yeah, I don't know. I think I, I try to give those people space, but it's hard because I think part of it is like, I really like to have a routine and for me, that feels really secure and really stable. And I've been thinking about that a lot. I'm like wondering, you know, part of me is like, what do I do with that? I don't have to do anything with that, but it's something I noticed. You can just let it exist. Mm, yeah. I mean, we've talked about this before too. Like I, I share that sentiment of like, I really love if we could just have like a consistent sort of, cause that gives me space to like ease in and I don't feel like I have to rush, but I'm like, could I do that dating? Like, I think we've talked about that before. I'm like, could, could that be like mm. how we do dating? Is that a thing 
that could happen and that make for some reason feels like a lot more inorganic than doing it in friendship and I'm not sure why yeah I don't know I feel like personally for me when I think of dating I I feel like I associate like spontaneity with dating like Mm -hmm. there can't be structure in dating because I guess part of it for me is also like the pop culture like dominant culture of like you know there's like the meet cute or like you know when you date someone you just meet someone randomly and then randomly you start hanging out and randomly you form a connection and then randomly like you can't stop communicating with each other and so you do it all the time or there's like the push and pull and the back and forth the hot and cold you have to like fight for the person you're attracted to or dating and it yeah it's um it's inorganic in a structured way now that I've said it all out loud. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, there is a structure, but we hate it. Right. <laughs> it's it's like... formulaic, but it sucks mm-hmm. <laughs> for me. It's formula. It's formulated to like make you feel emotionally on edge for an extended period of time. Right. Which maybe I would like to not do that. <laughs> I feel like I've had a lot of that in my life. I could maybe do without. Right. Just a little bit of structure would be nice. Mm -hmm. So I would love to hear you talk about um, how friendship functions in your life. Like what is the function of it? And then what is the experience of it? That is a very vast question. (laughs) Answer as vastly as you wish. Um, And I will try to answer it as best as possible. I mean, there are so many ways to answer that question. I feel like for me, there are different types of friendships. Mm. You know, I I touched on this a little bit earlier, but like there are friendships that I maintain that are based on a shared interest or a shared Mm -hmm. hobby. You know, I have friends that we talk about um, gaming or knitting or, um, you know, gosh, I'm going to get nerdy, like building keyboards or like electronics (laughs) or like houseplants. Right. And so those relationships are fulfilling to me, but they feel a little bit more superficial, I guess is the right word. Mm. And I used to, I used to really, they used to make me really uncomfortable that those relationships were not, you know, I, I felt like, or I got the impression that like all of my friendships had to be deep Mm, and mm -hmm. that's actually not true. Like I have friendships like with my neighbors in my building and, you know, I'll chat with them and ask them, you know, if I see them in the lobby or in the hallway, how their life is going, you know, if I ever have something that I need, you know, during the pandemic when we were in lockdown, my roommate and I are both disabled. Like we needed a lot of help. We needed people to like go to the pharmacy for us and pick up groceries and things like that. And neighbors came to us, you know, left and right. Anything that we needed, they were there for us. And for me, that felt important. Like that for me is a a friendship Mm. of support, right? That's not necessarily, you know, I wouldn't necessarily like, go out for brunch with all my neighbors, but I know that they're there to support me in a way that feels meaningful. Um, And 
then I have friends who I've known for a long time who've been in my life. Uh, actually, one of my oldest friends, Pat, like we met in college and we've known each other for like 15 years. And wow. she's amazing and fantastic and wonderful. And I love her. And we we share a lot of depth because we've gone through a lot together. But, you know, I will talk to her about some facets of my life, but not others. Or like, I won't get necessarily as deep with Pat as I would with, for example, like a recovery friend or a wise friend who mm -hmm. I'm like working in tandem with on my recovery because there's a degree of understanding with my recovery friends where there's that shared experience mm -hmm. of having gone through something, you know, whether it be trauma or addiction or something else. And now sort of trying to work to understand that situation and understand ourselves together. And mm -hmm. so there's like a shared experience and a shared language that I feel like you know, some of my other friends just wouldn't understand. And that's okay. But I feel like having, I found that it's very important for me to have different types of friendships at like different levels of intimacy. And I think once I accepted that that is a thing, and once I accepted that like having different types of friendship with different qualities and different um, levels of intimacy, then I was able to like embrace that rather than feeling really, I felt like there was something wrong with me for a while. I was like, well, like uh, other people all have like all deep friendships all the time. And I don't yeah. think they do. No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I relate to that so much. I feel like, yeah, that I had to like get over this sense that it was inauthentic if it wasn't really, really deep. And I was like, mm -hmm. I'm so committed to being authentic. I can't like siphon myself off for certain people. Yeah. And it's like, that's not necessarily what's happening. You're just right. like, yeah. And I'm hearing you. I relate a lot to what you're saying too, about like, there's like these different spectrums of time that we've spent together, activities that we've done, the types of care we're able to provide for each other and the right. types of intimacy that we share. Lots of spectrums there. Yes, so many, so many. It's deep. Mm -hmm. It's deep. But I think that's what I love about friendship is that it can be so many things and that friendships can evolve over time as well. Some mm -hmm. friendships that start out superficial for me have gotten really deep and intimate mm -hmm. and then gone back to being superficial and I, I feel like those types of relationships for me the ones that can evolve and the people that I can evolve with feel the most stable because it can yeah they, they, they can withstand change over time Ooh, that's interesting yeah because I do think it is harder the other types of relationships I'm thinking like romantic partnerships or like family relationships, like they often feel less resilient to change and less resilient to evolution. Yeah. And I wonder, cause one of the things we've been kind of exploring through a lot of these conversations is like 
friendship can sometimes feel really nebulous because you don't define the relationship in the same ways that you would. Mm-hmm. But it seems like maybe that def- that defining does make it feel less resilient when people inevitably change. Yeah, because you put it in a box, you put a label on it. And then if the relationship doesn't fit that label or isn't serving that purpose anymore, then it feels like it's wrong, at least in my experience. Mm-hmm. Oh man, interesting. Yeah, so I've like, for example, you know, applying that to like dating, for example, I've never had an experience where I've been able to like date someone and then sort of over time transition into like having a committed relationship and then going back to dating Mm. if we feel the need like that has never happened for me but I've had that analogous experience in a friendship and that has been fine yeah you know and so yeah I I have been thinking about that I mean you know I haven't dated in in many many years Mm -hmm. and I think part of why part of what I'm resisting is putting the relationship in that box and applying that label to it and then feeling like that's really rigid and there are expectations there first of all that are terrifying because of (laughs) uh, societal expectations on like romantic relationships and like intimate relationships but also like that there's no movement there it's an escalator. You can only go up right. in a, in an intimate relationship with another person. There's no room for coming back down, going up and come back down um, unless, unless it's a dysfunctional relationship, which is really all I've ever had. Yeah. You know what mm. I mean? Yeah. I'm also finding this interesting to hold with the conversation we were just having about the like structured friend time mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like mm-hmm. there's like safety in the structured friend time and there's safety in not like putting the relationship in a box mm-hmm. yeah some structures are safer than others <laughs> <laughs> huh yeah yeah I mean there's I feel like it comes down to an element of trust in a way now that I'm thinking about those two is like mm-hmm. in our structured friendship time, I trust that we have that time blocked off for one another to share space and engage with mm-hmm. each other. But in the structure of a relationship, in my experience thus far, it's been limiting and stepping outside of the bounds of that relationship has caused mistrust. Mm. And so because yeah. there's been a lack of communication, right. Or there's been conflict within that container yeah. and one person or the other, or both have been like stepping outside of their assigned roles or acting in ways that the other is not expecting. Then there's a lack of trust then there's conflict and then from there there's no room to like move I don't know it's almost like friendship inherently has more of like a relationship anarchy type of structure to it yeah but we don't necessarily think of it that way so like we don't often 
use the tools to like talk about what's happening. Yeah. Cause there's less pressure on it really. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I liked what, yeah. Earlier you had said like, this is what I love about friendship because it can be so many things. And that was, yeah, that was really interesting. Cause I, I think a lot of the reason I came to this project was like, it can be so many things. And that stresses me out that we're not like talking about what it is. But now in this conversation, I'm like, oh, but that is really beautiful. Like that is what makes it unique is there's not the box that inherently creates the mistrust when we inevitably change. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't work with everyone either. Like I've had friendships that have fizzled out. Totally. Because the structure hasn't worked or we've just lost touch and it happens. I mean, I think that happens across the relationship spectrum, whether it's friendship or a romantic, intimate relationship or even family, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes. Could you tell me more, whatever you're willing to tell me about um, the types of friendships you saw from the caregivers or adults in your life growing up? Like what models did you get for friendship? Oh, um, <laughs> well, yeah, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I feel like as far as like family goes, my immediate family, I saw a lot of, there was, there was friendship of like proximity and necessity. So like my family would be friends with people who were neighbors or people who they worked with or knew through church or whoever. And we would all interact and, and like do social stuff. But there was also a lot of like talking behind people's backs and like trash talking people or like oh, yeah. um, gossip or, you know, um, deep judgment of how people were living their lives or not living their lives. And I think I carried that with me for a long time. Probably still do. I probably do talk a lot of trash, but I... <laughs> You know, it's just like, um, you know, when I think of my family having friendships and the types of relationships that they have, I think of like dysfunctional sort of mean friendships and friendships that really lacked trust and lacked emotional intimacy because my, my immediate family, especially my parents, like are not capable of emotional intimacy in a way that. I perceive as being like healthy or productive. So seeing that around me, I think I absorbed a lot of that for a long time. And yeah, I think it was like a really weird message to sort of have projected toward me from like a young age. And then I think a lot of what I learned about friendship, I learned from popular culture, quite frankly, like you learn about friends on Sesame Street. (laughs) And like I made friends in school. And so like in school, they were like, here's how you make friends. And like, here's how you're nice to your friends. And like you share with friends or you tell your friends your secrets or like if a friend is mean to you, like you can talk to them and you can resolve conflict, except that in my reality, again, at home, like there was no resolution of conflict and there was no sharing of feelings. Mm -hmm. And so my friendships a lot of the time reflected that as well. And so I spent a lot of time imagining friendships for myself 
imagining friendships that looked and felt a lot more like what I was seeing around me in popular mm. culture and what I would read in books and what I would see on TV and movies, things like that, you know, watching, you yeah. know, as a teen watching like Dawson's Creek and seeing, you know, people who were supposedly like, I mean, years older than me, but like having intimate, intimate friendships or like yeah. being able to talk to family members and like be open and have conflicts and problems be resolved. Like that wasn't a reality for me. And so I think I, I escaped a lot into fantasy relationships because I felt like I didn't have access to those in my real life or I didn't, I didn't understand why I, I couldn't have friendships that were like that. Mm. So much there. Um, okay. Two things from what you shared that I want to dive into. One is I want to talk more about gossip because I have a lot of feelings <laughs> about it. Because mm-hmm. um, my I feel like that was a staple of the friendships I saw with my mom, particularly was just mm-hmm. like gossip and coercion and like dishonesty and a lot of gross stuff like that. And coming into like Buddhism and especially like in recovery space, as I'm learning, you know, there's a lot of talk about wise speech and like gossip's not a great way to um, connect with people. And, you know, even I think it was like Joseph Goldstein did that thing for like a number of years where he refused to talk about anybody if they weren't actively in the room with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, like, I feel the need to be a petty bitch sometimes. And like, that's how I connect with my homies. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I feel (laughs) like a lot of, I guess, spiritual tension about gossip. Yeah, And I want to know how you feel about it. I feel like I'm on the same wavelength, quite frankly. Like I, I recognize gossip as my own insecurity coming through and showing up and my own need to externalize some frustration either with myself or with a situation and just like needing to get out some sort of feeling or energy Mm -hmm. and try to find a resolution but like, it comes out in the wrong way. Like gossip sure. is not the answer, uh, but it feels so good. <laughs> Sometimes I just want to trash talk people. And like, I mean, Listen. like, uh, I mean, we've also talked about this, like my roommate and I love to watch reality TV. Oh my God. <laughs> um, which is a habit we picked up during the pandemic. And um if I were watching it alone, I don't think I would enjoy it very much, but watching reality TV with another person or other people and like being able to like trash talk people who are on the show who are like acting ridiculous in this scenario that's like totally manufactured and fabricated. Like it makes me feel better about myself, you know? My friend framed it as 
because the problems are manufactured and in essence so small, it's like so nice sometimes to escape into problems that oh, don't yeah. actually matter or exist. Mm -hmm. But it's so hard because I am someone who also got into um, watching reality television in the pandemic and I've done it alone and I get so in my head about yeah. like people's attachments to, I mean I think I've like talked about reality tv and recovery meetings so many times right? like, <laughs> I was watching Love Island and like all this Gosh. shit was coming up <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's like, a breeding ground for it. that stuff yeah yeah <laughs> oh boy yeah that's real or you know we love to read like the Dear Prudence advice columns oh I haven't oh, read yeah. those Ooh, oh they're so good because it's like people writing in with ridiculous problems and my roommate and I are, are both like are you kidding me like go to therapy <laughs> you need to go to therapy just go to therapy, go to therapy. that's yeah. what you need totally totally <laughs> meanwhile just... I'm over here mm -mm. I need to be in therapy I am in therapy but like I should not be talking <laughs> Anyway, sorry, I cut you off. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. Um, I was also just thinking about the gossip thing. Like, I think it makes me feel unsafe when I gossip with new people because I'm like, oh, you're going to talk shit about me also. Like, I'm not safe to you. But, like, I think the only relationships where I can practice gossip in a way that feels okay is like with people that I feel like I have a long-standing trust with yeah and that is not the sole thing that we connect over yeah yeah because it's not me mm -hmm. it's not it's not my truth and oftentimes I'll be like I gotta say this petty shit and I know the actual thing is I'm secure, insecure about X, Y, Z, and it's bringing up all this shit, but like, let me be petty yeah. for a minute. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's people who understand that, mm -hmm. like those people are with whom I can gossip and yes. be petty because they get it. Totally. Okay. What is something that gives you friendship butterflies? Oh, I mean, it depends on, it depends on the, the type of friendship, quite frankly. Yeah. I think I definitely get friendship butterflies when, um, when I meet a new friend and we, we just vibe, honestly, a lot of the time, you know, it is a, around a shared interest or hobby or something to that degree. Like if I can really nerd out and like my, my full-blown ADHD brain can just go down the rabbit hole talking about whatever for two hours. Like yeah. that excites me because I mean, I think again, it, it comes back to a sense of trust of like, Oh, this person gets me and they'll let me talk about my weird interest and they'll join me in it. Mm -hmm. Please join me in being weird. <laughs> like, Oh, you're weird too. Okay, cool. I see that. Amazing. You know, and so that's real. I definitely get friendship butterflies. Like when I reconnect with a friend who I haven't seen in a long time mm. and we pick up right where we left off. I actually just mm. saw a friend of mine recently who came by um, who I hadn't seen in quite a while. And they came to see me because they were leaving to go um, do some work study on a farm. 
And so I was like, you need to come over because you need to tell me all about what your plan is because this sounds dope and I want to hear about your farm and I want you to send me photos because I wish I could do this. (laughs) Like, this Mm -hmm. sounds awesome. But it was like so nice to see them in person, first of all, and give them a hug because hugs are great and they're like sparse nowadays. But second of all, like to be able to share in their joy and their excitement for this new chapter in their life. Like I really, Mm. that really hit me. It was like, I felt their joy and I could like marinate in the juices of their like excitement and happiness. And I was like, this is like, I need this. Yes. Give me this. And like, even though we hadn't talked in a while and we haven't caught up and like, we don't know exactly everything that's going on in each other's lives. doesn't matter. Cause we were just mm-hmm. really just both excited to be in each other's company. Mm. That's, that's real. That's my fave. Yeah. That like sympathetic joy, especially when your friends are doing something that's like so meaningful to them. Yeah. Individually. Yeah. That I love joy. it. <laughs> ah, it's so good. <laughs> oh. Yes. Yeah. Hits me right in the solar plexus. okay so what do you think how do you hold yourself accountable to being a good friend and what does it mean to you to be a good friend oh boy uh (laughs) what does it mean to me to be a good friend honestly just thinking about that gives me anxiety Mm. okay just hearing you ask that question just gave me a little like yeah I got, I felt myself constrict a little bit because it feels really important to me to be like a good friend. And Mm. I, yeah, I think that I do put a lot of pressure on myself and I do Mm. get in my head sometimes about what that means. Like, what is it, what does it look like to be a good friend? And am I working hard enough to be a good friend as if Mm. being a good friend is something that I need to actively work toward instead of just letting it be yeah. our friendship so yeah I mean I guess like letting go of the this notion that being a good friend is something I need to aspire to mm. or work toward or that I need to struggle with yeah rather than just being myself mm-hmm. you know and I think that when I think of my friends and my friendships and how people have been good friends to me. Like I do all of those things. I, I listen to my friends. I, uh, you know, let my friends info dump about all of their hobbies and engage with those hobbies. You know, I share good news in my life. I listen to their problems. I share my own. I crack jokes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I share memes yeah you know important very important and I'm supportive and you know I'm loving and I'm caring and that's really all I can hope for in a friendship um and yeah. so yeah I think for me it's really just getting out of my own head <laughs> yeah honestly and then there is the sort of degree of 
intimacy that I haven't really even touched on because I I'm still sort of like continually trying to wrap my head around this even though like I've been a disabled person all my life the notion of like access intimacy in a relationship mm-hmm. and in a friendship mm-hmm. and what that feels like and looks like for me to receive and also how I can make space to offer that in friendships with other people and so Mm. you know for me specifically yeah could you define access intimacy yes for listeners I wish I could precisely me and Ingus to the best of your abilities yeah (laughs) a very clear definition which I will read on the internet right after our conversation and be like I should have said all that so basically in a nutshell access intimacy is the feeling of safety that a disabled person feels in a relationship where they feel Mm. open in being able to ask for their access needs and have Mm. their access needs be taken care of. Mm. So for example, you know, I have a disability called cerebral palsy. And so I have limited mobility. I have trouble walking. I use various um, mobility aids, usually Mm -hmm. a cane. And I have trouble with balance. Things like stairs without railings are hard for me. And so being able to go out with a friend somewhere to a venue where there are stairs without railings and being able to ask them, oh, hey, like, can can I lean on you? Can I use your shoulder to help me get up these stairs? so that I don't fall over. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of friends that I would feel comfortable asking for help in that way, but I have a lot of friends that I wouldn't feel comfortable asking for help in that way. And, you know, I think for me, I don't necessarily need access intimacy in a friendship to make it a good friendship, but there are some people that I just, naturally feel more comfortable with and feel more open like discussing my specifically my physical access needs Mm -hmm. like being able to talk about that and not feel judged and not feel nervous about how someone will respond is like really monumental quite frankly and there have been many relationships that I've had in the past especially romantic relationships, to be honest, like dating people who like, I didn't feel comfortable asking any of my exes for a lot of my access needs, you know, saying to someone, Oh, actually, like, I don't feel like going to the beach today because like, I'm really tired, even though I said, I felt like going last night or being like, Hey, you know, I, I really can't climb these steps. Like, can I, can I lean on you? Something as simple as that, like not being able to ask that of a partner seems like a deal breaker, right? Seems like it. But I spent years in relationships where I didn't feel comfortable asking for that because I either just was afraid of being rejected or I, I, I outright was, you know, there was, I was yeah. met with, with hostility and I look back on on those memories and it makes me sad for, for my 
former self. You know, I feel, I feel sad for myself being in a place where I felt like it was okay to maintain a relationship where like I couldn't have that level of trust with somebody. Yeah. I mean, I, I also think it makes perfect sense given the social understanding awareness that we even have about disability and the type of access that's even like implemented into everyday things. Like, Mm -hmm. of course you wouldn't feel like you deserved that because that's not what you've been given at any point. Right. Yeah. 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 And that's just physical access. You know, there, there are so many other types of access, you know, people who have other types of disabilities, invisible disabilities, you know, totally. have lots of, there's a whole other level of having the, the confidence to ask for what you need and advocate yes. for yourself if you don't get it. You know, as a, again, as like a neurodivergent person, I've got ADHD, my brain is all over the place and going 3000 miles a minute. If I'm, you know, in a friendship with somebody and I'm bad at answering texts or I can't uh, maintain plans or like I can't shut up because I'm talking about my new favorite TV show. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, there are people in my life who give me space and let me be myself and like embrace me for who I am. And then there are people who try to shut me down and put me in a box uh, or like just don't feel comfortable with me behaving in a certain way. And that's fine for them. Like if that's what they need, but I think a lot of, in my experience, a lot of my friendships where that has happened and that has been like a point of conflict, it hasn't been handled in a way that has felt like there was a, a good resolution. Like I didn't come away from that situation feeling bad. I felt like I had to minimize myself. Yeah. And that's not a, that's not a friendship. I don't know what a friendship is, but I know what a friendship (laughs) is not. It's not that. Mm -mm, It's not that. No, that's so, that's so valid. And disability is something that has come up a lot in a lot of these conversations that I've been having. Um, And it's, yeah, it just made me reflect a lot on like, even my own rejection of my invisible disabilities and how like I've been like I was talking to a friend about this where I was like yeah like I self-disclose disability unless I like really want a job and it reminds me a lot of the ways that I will show up in relationships where I'm like if I've like put someone on a pedestal Mm -hmm friendship or otherwise like there are a lot of ways that I will make myself small in comparison and I think that goes back also to the someone was saying this in a meeting like a few months ago and it stuck with me so much that like right-sizedness like Mm -hmm. can I can I relate to people where we're on the same size and I'm not bigger than them and I'm not smaller than them and like we are both like adults with agency and that is so hard it's oh, so hard. Yeah. 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 You're right. It's, I love that. Right. Sizedness. Ooh, I'm going to put that in my back pocket for later. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like for me, 
in in order for that to happen, there has to be like an understanding from both parties that like we're striving toward right sizing this. And like yeah. that involves a level of openness in communication, in like disclosure and just like of of relationship, right? Again, it always comes back to trust, honestly. Totally. Like being able to be open with another person in my experience has been really the only way for any sort of right-sizedness to happen. Yeah. You know. But it's also like cuz I'm well, I'm I'm like still discerning the difference between open and oversharing. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like especially before I was in recovery, like a lot of I would be like what I thought was open, like very early on and not get reciprocation from people. Mm -hmm. But again, that goes back to like that need for deepness. Right. Or I'm like, I'm just going to overshare everything. And I'm going to like dump everything. And like, I'm being open. So Mm -hmm. I need you to like meet me here. Yeah. Yeah. Trauma dumping is fun. (laughs) Woo. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's real. And, and I have also done that. I mean, I probably still do, quite frankly. it's. I do, yeah. It's, I think for, I mean, because for a long time, honestly, again, like I was, I was making friendships and other types of relationships where like that was, that was the connection. The trauma was totally. the connection. We're both oh gosh, queer. Totally. We're both disabled. We're both some other marginalized identity. Let's share our trauma around that identity and that brings us closer because we share that burden. We share that weight. Okay. So this is something that I've been chewing on a lot for Spit many years now. Spit it out. It's, it's very soggy. <laughs> um, I, I feel this tension of because I am a person who has had a lot of trauma because I'm queer, because I have this disability, because I like have all these things. I need someone to have had those experiences in order for me to feel safe with them. Yeah. But that often leads to trauma bonding. And I want to be able to have close, intimate relationships with people who have not had the same traumas that I have, who like, maybe grew up with like securely attached parent. Like I would like to have that with them, you know, but like when I meet somebody who seems that they have had that, I'm like, Oh, you will never understand me. And I don't know what to do <laughs> with all of this. Cause I'm like, I, I mean, I guess I know what to do. The answer is like, take my time, build trust over time, yada, yada, yada. But like, it is, it is really difficult. And I wonder if you relate to that. I do. Can I ask you a question about that? Cause I'm, yeah. I'm interested So you, you mentioned, and uh, I've also had this experience. You said that you want to, you would like to have a relationship with someone who, what I heard was like, has, has, had different traumas in their life or possibly 
a lesser degree of trauma in their life and you're afraid of being misunderstood. When you imagine being misunderstood, what do you imagine exactly happening, feeling in that situation? Well, I don't have to imagine it because it's happened a lot. <laughs> uh huh. Um, I mean, I would say a lot of this is like very specifically related to the experiences I've had early in my life of like dating cis white men. Mm -hmm. where I'm like you had such a different upbringing I often found myself in relationships with people who had like a lot of class status over me as well Mm -hmm. um and it just like the messaging that I got was like I was too much my needs were too much like you know I'm sure you're familiar Mm -hmm. now I do think at the time, like, I didn't know how to communicate around my needs. I didn't have good emotional regulation skills. Like there were also a lot of ways in which I needed to grow, but I still think if I showed up with those similar types of people at this moment in time, I would still feel like it would activate all the parts of me that felt I needed to be small. Yeah. that's shame. Yeah. <laughs> Might be a yeah. shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that shame pit tossed me right in. Tossed <laughs> me right in, friends. Whoop. Let's go. There they go. Into the shame pit again. Yes, that's real. That's really real. I I do actively avoid certain people that I perceive to have certain identities. You know, difference in class, mm-hmm. difference in um, gender. Honestly, also like difference in race because I am afraid of like, not being misunderstood and in being misunderstood being rejected and being abandoned and feeling that shame of like oh I'm not good enough I'm not something enough I'm not enough yeah and like you yes I think a lot of that a lot of that response in me know that like therapy has taught me that those past experiences do not dictate what will happen in the present here and now. Mm. And so theoretically the best thing for me to do would be to like, just try it. Just, just like try to be friends with the people who scare me. (laughs) The cis white men, maybe date a cis white man. Uh, in the year of um, our Lord, 2022, I feel like I said it and it feels bad to be doing. No, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't date cis men, period. Let me just put that out there in case anyone's yeah. listening. So nope, T for T strictly, but honestly, that doesn't mean I won't be friends with the cis man. <sighs> I don't know if I am currently friends with any cis men, like I'm acquaintances yeah. and maybe like very loose friends. Yeah. But I can't think of any cis man that I, men that I talk to with any sense of regularity, unless it's like in recovery space. Do, <laughs> do I count my therapist as my friend? <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, mm, well, I'm going to say no. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. (laughs) 
Perfect. So last question before we wind down, what would you like to see more of in your friendships and what would you like to see less of in your friendships? Oh, <laughs> those are, I don't, hmm. <laughs> so broad. <sighs> Honestly, I mean, I'd like to see more of my friends. Yeah. You know, in, in this post-pandemic world, I I feel like I have been, I, I'm still, I get the sense that I'm still a lot more cautious and careful around going out and being social in public than many mm-hmm. other people are. I don't know if that's the reality or not, but, you know, like I said, my roommate and I are both disabled, chronically ill. We have chronically ill family members. And so we're all mm-hmm. being super careful. And I haven't seen many of my friends in person in the past several years. And I miss hanging out and I miss doing social things. I miss going to drag shows. I miss going oh. to metal shows. I miss, you know, tabletop gaming nights. And yeah, I just, I wish, I wish that I had more in-person offline time with my friends right now, honestly. And um I guess I also wish, and I don't know if I'll be able to articulate this in the right way, but I wish, I feel like it's not always easy for adults to make friends. Or they're, yeah, they're like, aren't necessarily spaces to make friends. Or it feels like a social faux pas to just go up to random people in public and strike up conversations. Um, Also, even just having said that and imagining it for myself, that feels terrifying because that's no why would I talk to strangers anyway um I wish yeah I wish there was I wish there was a way for adults to to make friends easier I I wish there was more social acceptance around adult friendship that wasn't mired in other types of relationship whether it be sexual intimate or romantic like just being friends with people I mean I definitely agree with that I speaking as a person who just moved across the country and didn't really know people. Um, I will say two things. Um, one is I, I pedicabbed in college where I had to like bike around and like ask people if they wanted to ride all the time. And on top of the sexual harassment that I got very frequently, uh, I also learned how to talk to people and like, Mm -hmm. just let it go. And I, talk to people all the time that I don't know I talk to strangers all the time I am that person and like I know I annoy the shit out of so many people but like it's hard as an adult it's really really hard and there are many times where I'm like yo shooting my shot you want to be homies and I would say like 70% of the time I get like enough follow-up to where we hang out once and get to decide if we actually like each other all right. All right. That's good. That's good odds. Yeah. 70%. I'll take that. Okay. Also, I've seen cards, like business cards that are like, hey, my name is so-and-so. Um, I have a really hard time making friends. Here's my number and my Instagram if you would want to connect sometimes. And oh. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. I also have cards that say, hey, I'm flirting with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I need that. They're so good. 
but I need that for people to hand to me. Right. It's like, just hand them out to random strangers. Be like, if you're flirting with me, could you just hand this back to me? Yeah. Thanks. Could you just, really appreciate I also it. have one that says hand this card back for a kiss. Um, oh. And I have, I will say I've gotten the card back. Okay. A number of times. I still got it with me. Oh, dang. All right. <laughs> shoot yep. okay okay we could talk about this offline i need to know more about that <laughs> business card game <laughs> <laughs> oh i like that a lot perfect so last thing i would love to hear you give a shout out to a friend in your life someone you have a gratitude for that has done something that has made you feel loved or special or understood or seen Just oh gosh i mean shout out i have so many friends um, I mean, honestly, and, uh, I haven't talked about them almost at all. I mean, I talked about them a little, my, my roommate, my platonic yeah. queer, queer platonic life partner, which if you didn't know, queer platonic life partners are known as zucchinis. There's a zine oh. about it. Yes. Okay. So my, my zucchini Mick, uh, we lived together. We lived together for doing math several years, many years. Um, okay. and we share a home and we've built a life together and I could not possibly imagine myself living with anyone else because mm. we just complement each other in so many ways that it just feels the degree of like trust and access intimacy and emotional intimacy that we've cultivated in the home is something that I have not experienced previously in my life. And we can both be silly as heck with each other too. Like when they bring home dinosaur socks that they found in the dollar bin at Target because they thought of me. True friendship. So Mick, it's the real MVP. Mick the zucchini. Yes. Your Mick zucchini. the zucchini. Mick my zucchini. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I appreciate you so much. I appreciate you giving your time and energy and thoughts to this today this was a lovely conversation of course this was great i loved it thank you for having me <laughs> <laughs>